God of all people, your arms reach out to embrace all those who call upon you. Teach us as disciples of your Son to love the world with compassion and constancy, that your name may be known through the earth, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. When we look at the biblical narrative of salvation history, we know that God formed a relationship with a group of people called the Israelites. He formed a covenant with them to be in relationship and to be about God's purposes. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3, we find the call of Abram. And this was the beginning of this relationship with the Israelites. We clearly see God's purposes in his calling. Go from your country to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So of all the nations in the world, God has singled out Israel as his specially chosen people. Of all the mountains in the world, God has chosen Mount Zion. Of all the holy places scattered around the world and holy land, he has chosen the temple in Israel as his special and unique dwelling place. In fact, we find this throughout the Bible, that God is a choosing God. For example, God chooses Israel among the other nations. He chooses Abel and not Cain. He chooses Jacob and not Esau. He chooses David and not Saul, etc. So this is not a minor, isolated idea. It is important, though, to understand that there were reasons for this. So here's the thing, especially today in the early 21st century, we find this language very objectionable, unpleasant, and offensive. Talk about exclusive. God is doing the choosing. God chooses one over the other. One of the worst things that you can say about an individual today is that you're being discriminatory, that you're making judgments over this one, over that one. But God clearly operates this way throughout the biblical narrative, and he does so for a reason. Nonetheless, the Bible has a balancing, complementing perspective that runs the way from beginning to end. So let's begin by looking at our first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is a great place to see this tension and the way that the Bible resolves it. So clearly, the prophet Isaiah holds that Israel is the special chosen people. He has great reverence for Jerusalem, the temple, and Mount Zion. He tells them in verse 1 to maintain justice and to do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 2, Blessed is the one who does this, The person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. And yet, in our reading today, he makes this extraordinary move. And then he says in verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. In other words, make sure no outsider who now follows God, ever has occasion to say that God made me a a second class. 
I don't really belong. And make sure no physically mutilated person, like a eunuch, is ever made to think that I'm damaged goods. I don't really belong. And then he continues in verse 6. And the foreigners, now the foreigners are the non-Jews who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him beside those already gathered. So these outsiders, these non-Jews, these foreigners can follow, serve, and love God keep his Sabbath, and hold to the covenant. God will bring them to his holy mountain and give them joy in the house of prayer. And they will be welcome to worship the same as the insiders, the Jews, to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to the altar. And God who gathers in the exiles of Israel, the Israelites, will also gather others, the foreigners, the non-Jews, the outsiders, gather them in with those already gathered. It's very interesting that this echoes Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and I'd like to read that now. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. We even heard in our psalm, we sung, we chanted that all the peoples are to come and praise the Lord. All the nations are to come and praise the Lord. So this helps us to understand that God does call a special people to himself and to be about his purposes. There's no doubt about it. Yes, Israel is chosen, but this is the key. Please hear this. They are chosen not for themselves, but chosen for the sake of the world. They were not chosen for themselves, but chosen so that they could be a blessing to the entire world. So when Israel claims its unique privileges and prerogatives, it misses the point. Israel's identity is a missionary identity. It's a community, yes, chosen to be in relationship with God, but to be about his purposes. Israel is called for the world. So with this as a foundation, we can understand the New Testament, the life and the work of Jesus and the calling and the purpose of the church. So was Jesus an Israelite? Yes. Did he believe Israel was a, the, the specially chosen people? Absolutely. He chose 12 apostles representing the 12 tribes of Israel, gathering them together in unity and for a purpose. So what about Luke 2, the song of Simeon that's part of our daily office reading and praying? Isn't it true that Simeon said about Jesus in his arms to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people, Israel. Absolutely. 
Jesus is for Israel and Jesus is for the Gentiles. It was always his plan and purpose to work through his special people, Israel, to reach and to bless the world. Salvation is for everyone. Think with me about the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, the instrument of torture. On the cross is the sign composed in three languages of the time by Pontius Pilate reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. King of the Jews, yes. King of Israel, the new David, king of this chosen people, yes, but it's not just written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek and Latin as well because the message is meant to go out to the entire world. Yes, Jesus is the king of the Jews and Jesus is also the king of the world. Israel was chosen not for itself, but precisely for the sake of others as missionaries to be on mission, to exist for others. I hope this sounds familiar to you because we talk about it often in the context of the church. We are a church for God's people who have been baptized and his, his disciples and his followers who have Jesus as Lord and Savior and King. And we are here for others, the world, the outsiders, those who do not yet know and follow Jesus Christ. So now it is clear in Isaiah that God's house shall be a house of prayer for all people and that God will gather the outcasts, the foreigners, and the outsiders. So this brings us to our gospel reading this morning. The Canaanite woman in today's gospel is a Gentile, an outsider who is unflinching in her request that Jesus heal her demon-possessed daughter. So Jesus teaches his disciples that true purity is a matter of the heart rather than outward religious observances. And ultimately, Jesus is himself the remedy, as in his death and resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, he deals with the wickedness and the uncleanness that infects the human race. But the remedy needs to be applied to the disease deep down inside the human heart so that when we stand before God, he will see us as he always intended, pure through and through, right down to the deepest part of us. And this is dealt with in the verses that precede our gospel reading this morning. For example, what good is it to clean the outside of the cup while you leave the inside of the cup dirty? So that's an example. So one of the great moral and cultural issues of the last hundred years or so has been racial identity. The world was horrified to learn that that German Nazi had killed six million people whose only crime was to be Jews. The world was then increasingly horrified to watch as the apartheid system in South Africa discriminated in countless ways against the most of the population simply because of the color of their skin. And eventually, through much hard work, change did come. And it came as a result of people forgiving one another by talking and by listening and forgiving. Now, we in the United States had our own problems with slavery and discrimination, and we find that some people and institutions are still guilty of this. Other parts of the world still to this day make uh, radical distinctions between peoples of different races. 
And we have also seen where people who have been discriminated against are now discriminating against others. And all of this is very disturbing. But now for many, the challenge is to take the widespread belief that all humans are equal, irrespective of race and color, and to make this work within our societies where people from very different backgrounds can live together and peace and harmony. Now, there is still much prejudice, hatred, and suspicion to be overcome, and current events on all sides continue to make this very challenging. There often seems to be an emphasis on extremes and not a voice of reason. Nevertheless, we as Christians are called to, called to model love, respect, and equality for, for any and for all. Yes, this can only be done by understanding and being transformed by the gospel of the kingdom that reconciles all things. This is the only answer. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are all one. St. Paul said very clearly in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So when we read this story in our gospel, we may find it quite shocking. It looks as though Jesus, to begin with, is refusing to help someone in need just because she is from the wrong race. This seems very strange and inconsistent with his teachings and actions. So what's going on here? We are here once again at a point where Jesus' fundamental mission is being defined. He wasn't simply a traveling doctor whose task was to heal every sick person that he met. You know, as we know, he goes into some villages and there is a specific person he goes and he heals. And then he goes to other places and we find that he healed all all those that were sick. But Jesus made it clear that I only do what I see my father doing. And so that's what he did. God's people Israel needed to know that their God was now at least fulfilling his promises. The kingdom for which they had longed was beginning to appear. He was its herald, the one who proclaimed and demonstrated and modeled this message. And as the disciples were starting to realize, he was himself God's anointed king. This message was always aimed at Israel first. And whenever we look at the text, that's what's going on. That's what's being emphasized. Not to maintain this would be to imply that God had made a mistake in choosing and calling Israel to be a special people. The promise bearers through whom his word and his new life would be brought to the rest of the world. So Matthew 5 tells us that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not to do away with the category of Israel, God's chosen people, but to fulfill Fill the purpose which this people existed in the first place. If God's new life was to come to the world, it would come first through Israel. This is why Israel had to hear the message first. But as with so much of what happens in Jesus' public life, the future keeps breaking into the present. 
He has already commented on the remarkable faith of a Gentile centurion in chapter 8. And now he comments on the equally remarkable faith of a Canaanite woman, a non-Jew, a foreigner, an outsider, living north of the land of Israel. So this Canaanite woman does indeed have great faith. And not only does she clearly believe that Jesus can heal her daughter and set her free from these demons, she addresses Jesus as the son of David. And that is the Jewish messianic title. So yes, she says, the dogs can't simply share the children's food. This is remarkable enough that she accepts the designation of a dog which was a regular way of dismissing the Gentiles as inferior, ceremonially unclean, and separated from God. She insists on her point. Listen to her remarkable statement. If Israel is indeed the promise-bearing people, then Israel's Messiah will ultimately bring blessing to the entire world. This Canaanite woman really got this. The dogs will share the scraps that fall from the children's table. From very early on in the Christian movement, the acceptance of Gentiles on equal terms with Jews was fought for within the church, and the battle was won, by Paul in particular. The woman's faith broke through the waiting period, the time in which Jesus would come to Jerusalem as Israel's Messiah to be killed and raised again and then send out his followers into the world. The kingdom purposes of God broke into that very moment, even before Jesus died, rose, gave the great commission, ascended to heaven, and poured out the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And that's why we continue to pray even to this day, knowing that Jesus ushered in the kingdom and knowing that when he comes back again, he's going to bring the fullness of the kingdom. We're continuing to pray that God's kingdom would come like it will be one day when he comes again and makes it all complete. Break in into our moment now. And today, any area where God's purposes are not yet being fulfilled and people are being discriminated against, any and all people, we are to stand up and live out God's purposes that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't come through fighting. It doesn't come through rioting. It doesn't come through nasty attitudes. It doesn't come through hate. It doesn't come through social media wars. And I can keep going on and on, but I think I'm making the point very clear but through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that breaks down all barriers and reconciles all things. So what then are the issues that we face today? Which which promises of God have we imagined might be fulfilled in the distant future, but all to be claimed in the present with a prayer and faith which refuses to be put off? May God's purposes and will be fulfilled now, today, in you and me, in Long Beach, in Los Angeles, in California, in the United States, as it is in heaven. Please listen to me as I close. May we stop blaming May we stop judging. 
May we stop pointing the finger. May we stop the hate and the bitterness on all sides. May real Christians act like real Christians. May we pray. May we listen. May we love. May we speak gently and clearly. And may we embody the kingdom of God in our life. Everything we say, everything we do. What would happen if God's people stopped hating our leaders and prayed for them instead? What would happen if we prayed for our upcoming elections, that God would have mercy, that his will would be done? I could keep going and giving all kinds of examples, but think with me, what would happen if God's people act like God's people? As Jesus commends the Canaanite woman for her bold faith, how might our church extend its mission to those on the margins of society? In our gathering around word and sacrament, we receive strength to be signs of comfort, healing, and justice for all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God has chosen you and me in All Saints Cathedral for the sake of the world.